Shane, we all like to talk about big fish. The South Holston has a reputation for big fish, and we all see those fishing ads and those pictures on other anglers' phones, a lot of pictures. And through the different tales and stories that our friends tell, we aren't going to talk about big fish the entire episode, but we're going to talk about the South Holston and the tactics that catch bigger fish on that river. What I want to start out with is your big fish story. So can you tell us uh, about just one of the big fish that you caught from your boat? Well, I would be glad to do that. And I think the most memorable fish was this past year. Um, it was late summer, early fall. Um, had a had a group trip in town. And I had a guy on my boat by the name of Blake. Had never fly fished. They were in town to fish for two days. We fished that first day. And he caught a lot of fish on the high water. And the water dropped out that day, and we had to fish low water. And his boss, who brought him on the trip, ended up catching a fish that was, I don't know, 22, 23 inches long that day. Well, it just so happens that Blake's boss had to fly out of town the next day to go to a wedding down in Louisiana. So I asked Blake, I said, Blake, what do you want to do? Do you want to go catch a bunch of fish, or would you rather target some larger fish? And he said, well, I believe I would uh, like to try for a bigger fish. And, um, you know, it always sounds easier than it is. And I told him, you know, it's, it's tough. And we got down. Of course, I know where these fish hold throughout the year and, and how to target them. And we spent about 45 minutes to an hour practicing a reach cast, understanding that we couldn't line these fish. We had to lead them. We had to make sure our flies were down. Presentation is crucial. And we did that for about an hour, okay? And I found where these fish were located, and I positioned my boat, dropped the anchor down really soft, and we went to work. And it took about three hours, okay? And Blake hooks the fish, and, um, you know, I'm watching. I'm like, set, set, set. And, you know, and he, if so, I don't, and I don't feel like he had a really strong hook set, uh, but he set the hook. We got the fish on. And, you know, I'm not pulling anchor yet. I'm just looking, I'm standing up and I see this fish and I don't say a word. I'm like, just, just keep your rod up, make sure you keep tension. And, you know, about 20 minutes or so later, we bring this fish to the net and he's looking at it and I'm like, holy cow. We measure this fish. It's 29 inches long and he don't really have a clue what he's done. And, um, I'm like, you understand people go to Patagonia or New Zealand or wherever to catch a, a wild brown trout like this. And it was just phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal. He was tickled to death. I was tickled to death. I don't know if his boss was mad or not that he beat him on the second day ever fly fishing, but Blake definitely was hooked beyond that point. And, you know, we still had another five hours to fish. And, you know, we, we would talk about that fish. And, and even when I left Blake that day, I'm still not certain that he understood what he did, what caliber of fish he caught. And that's fine, but he was sure happy. And that was a big, beautiful, beautiful wild South Holston brown trout. And it was a lot of fun to be a part of, a lot of fun to witness. Sometimes it gets me whenever someone catches something like that on their, when they're just starting out and they don't maybe realize what they've caught until hopefully later on in their fishing career, whenever they're catching a lot of 12, 14, 16, 18s. And they're like, man, if I could just catch one that was 30, 
you know, 30 is my new goal. But the, the best thing out of the whole story is, of course, he didn't want to go catch a, bit, catch a bunch of little fish. He wanted to go catch something just a little bit bigger than his buddy. You know, that's the thing for all of us. I think we all have this thing. And I try to beat it down in myself and not let, you know, let it get to me. And I, I'm doing better as I get a little older of just just be happy that that you're catching something and your buddy's catching something. But it's never, never hurts your doesn't hurt your pride or your ego or or anything if you catch one just a little bit bigger, you know, and or just a few more than some somebody else. And if they're in another boat, it's a whole other situation. <laughs> so well, yeah. I made sure that Blake understood that there was no guarantee. You know, these fish are big for a reason. And it's a commitment thing. You just don't go there and see them and cast and like you're at a trout pond and you're going to catch them. It <laughs> right. takes and I mean, you just, you got to commit to them and you got to be willing to have the patience to do it. And then it still may not happen, but I normally feel pretty confident if I got somebody that, you know, will put the time in, you know, we, we can at least, you know, hooking those fish is one thing, landing them is another. Yeah, it is. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that a little bit later on in some of these questions that, uh, we went on and got from the podcast book on Facebook group it's called the podcast by southeastern fly facebook group and i put a question out there for those folks and said hey what do you want to know about south holston and and between that and the folks that uh just text me directly and email me directly we've got a pretty good lineup here of three or four more questions that i think are going to answer a lot of those questions that we had uh that came in and we're going to touch on all of them but Let's go ahead and kick this thing off with an introduction from high atop the world headquarters of Southeastern Fly. This is the Southeastern Fly podcast. Feel free to share the podcast with your friends and your fishing partners. Click that follow button so you'll be the first to know when an episode drops. Also, give us a positive review wherever you consume your podcasts. If you find value in the work we're doing here and want to support what we do, drop by the Southeastern Fly store at the southeasternfly.com and simply make a purchase. So who is our guest today on Southeastern Fly? He grew up in Southwest Virginia on the border of Tennessee. Shane's down-to-earth personality and passion for helping and teaching makes him makes a good day on the river. You can book him at the South Holston River Company. He's the man everybody wants to fish with. Please welcome to the Southeastern Fly podcast, Shane Griffith. Shane, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to talk about it. Looking very forward to it. Yes, me too. And we've had some pretty good conversation already this, 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 uh, right before we hit the record button. And, uh, so let's go ahead and get started so we can, we can get enough, uh, all these questions in here in a reasonable amount of time because it's getting late. And I, I know I'll be up early in the morning. I think you may be too. But if there's one thing that I've learned while guiding and fly fishing, it's that everybody fishes just a little bit different. What we want to do is run through, Fishing different styles of fly fishing. So we want the 411 on fishing dry fly streamers and nymphs. These questions came from the podcast Facebook group, and there are a lot of ears on this one. So let's start up top, and let's talk about dry flies just a minute. Can you give us the give the audience, give us <laughs> some help with uh, the seasons to fish, dries, the hatches, presentations, and, and I definitely want to know about the water levels for fishing dries. Okay, I think when people think about South Holston, I think people automatically think of sulfur, which is probably our most popular bug. It's what it's known for. South Holston is known for the sulfur dry fly fishing. You know, I hear I hear people say that sulfur's, you know, you need to hit them 
depending who you're asking, May or June. But I'm going to be honest with you. I see sulfurs coming off in November and December. We also have a blue-winged olive that that fishes really well on the South Holston. You know, I, I always try to tell people that your sulfur is our warm water, our warm weather bug, and our blue-winged olive is our cold weather bug. But I, I think that the sulfurs have uh, a little bit of cold weather in them too, because, like I said, I see them in November or December. Another thing when you're on the South Holston that you want to look for, the last couple of years, I have seen a lot of small black caddis. That bug is becoming real, really popular. One technique that I'm going to put out there that I use is I will fish a small black caddis amongst a large sulfur hatch. And I have found that my better fish, even if I'm fishing those in tandem, my better fish will come on that small black caddis. I don't know how many people's doing that. It's just kind of something that I started doing really. I started doing it really on a spinner fall hatch and late in the evening. It might be 30 minutes before dark. That's when I started doing it. And I found that it works at any time of the day on low water. If you're fishing the upper South Holston and uh, low and you're weight fishing and you got low water, you know, you need to be able to fish a long leader. I mean, I would say 16 feet if you can. If you can do more, do more. Keep your fly line away from those fish. Fish are highly pressured, and I think they're a little more lenient with us earlier in the year than they are as we start getting through late summer and fall. These fish are smart. So a long leader, in my opinion, is very crucial. Don't be If you can cast a 20-foot leader, don't be afraid to do it. Tippet size, you know, I know people coming, they're going, what if I hook a 20-inch fish on 7X? Sometimes that's what it takes to hook it. Um, so long leaders, my opinion, is very crucial um, and very light tippet. Then on high water as well, uh, long leaders are still very important. On high water, you, you really have to lead those fish. Um, a reach cast is really, really, really important. If you can't do a reach cast, I would learn to do it before you come to the South Holston to dry fly fish. Um, a lot of people want to come to dry fly fish, and I'll say, I need you to give me a really good reach cast and a couple of stack mints, and they look at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and unfortunately, you know, that's what it takes, especially later in the season that you get. So you're talking about leading the fish. Tell us all, what do you mean by leading the fish? And let's just say that I am, are you are you leading in the fish on both high water from the boat and, and wading as well? Or is it more just one or the other? Yeah, so uh, both, both. You know, typically when you see that fish eat, right, that fish is not at that particular location where you're seeing him take that fly. So when you're watching that fish and you may sit on your boat or you may sit on the bank, and you may pick that fish out and you're watching him and you're and you're looking and you're saying, okay, this fish is eating every 10 seconds or something. Here's where he's eating. But that fish, before he eats, is drifting back to come up to get into that bug. So if you cast right where that fish is eating, chances are you're casting right behind that fish. Okay. So we need to get our fly out in front of that fish, right? But we also need to get our fly out in front of that fish far enough that that fish doesn't see that fly hit the water. 
we want to get that big reach cast and we want that bug to come to that fish that fish see that bug coming down the river like the rest of them and him choose to eat it and come up and eat it if we hit him on top of the head with that fly or we hit the water too hard we're not going to get that fish we're going to have to move on does that make sense makes total sense and i'll use whenever i'm whenever i'm helping somebody in that situation probably around here more with nymphs to be honest with you but I try to tell them on the flatter water. We've got a lot of flat water here on on our rivers in Middle Tennessee because there's a little bit less gradient. But I try to tell them, hit the top, the upstream top of the ring with your fly. And that is kind of the sweet spot for us here. Is there a sweet spot for you or you wait until the the ring from the previous rise completely disappears? I think it just depends on the fish. But typically, I wait till it's – typically, if I got the rod in my hand, I'm waiting till it disappears. And if I make a cast at that fish and he doesn't eat, you know, I'm not going to immediately cast right back at him most of the time. I'll let him take another bug or two. Because if he's eating on a really nice pattern, he's going to eat. And and typically that's what I'll do. Is I will not just beat him up, casting, casting, casting. So it sounds like y'all post up on the fish, the feeding fish a little bit in the boat. Is that fair? Or are you just... Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. So everybody does it a little different. And I think water kind of dictates that, but also pressure dictates that. There's a lot of different things that dictate that. And everybody, everybody's kind of got their own little way of doing things, you know, which is what one of the things that make this makes this this pastime, this sport, this whatever you want to call it, so awesome is you can learn so many different things from from fishing with, you know, just a few different people. You know, you can catch catch the same fish ten different ways if you got ten different people and which is, I mean, you wouldn't think that, but I've seen it happen where you catch fish doing all kinds of different things. So now we do, you know, drip, we do drift down the river and dry fly fish. You know, I've got clients that it don't matter if I ain't a dry fly rise or a, a fish rising to a dry fly. They want to see that dry fly going down the river. <laughs> um, and, and then there's times when we got dries coming off and, you know, we are drifting and dry fly fishing, but. If you got, if you can really give me a really good reach cast and some stack mins and really present that fly on high water from the boat and I can anchor up, we can really catch a lot more fish than just drift it down through there and hoping that something takes it. We're in that lane. Right. If that makes, yeah. Yeah. So you can, and you can find those reach casts online. Uh, on YouTube and Stackman's on on YouTube. Orvis has got a lot of good stuff on their website about different types of casts and different kinds of men's. Yeah, I think Pete Cutzer, he's really good at teaching. He does a really great job. He's with Orvis, I believe, too. Yeah. yeah. So I think uh, if you if you do your homework, and I, I don't want to get pigeonholed into – if you go to the South Holston, you need to do your homework. If you go anywhere, you know, at least warm up some with your casting and be a little bit more on point if you can. I understand there's a lot of life. And Shane, you and I were just talking about life being busy just before we hit the record button. Life is busy and we get that. But if you can do just a, if you can find some carve out some time to do just a little bit of extra work in the casting realm, watch a few YouTube videos and try to get some of that down when you get on the boat or you get with a guide or heck, even if you're just going to the river on your own, you'll be a little bit further ahead and your learning curve will be just a little bit less. So 
I was going to say, what do I spend most of my time doing? Rowing a boat, tying knots. And then when I pick up a rod for the first time in three months, I'm like, hmm, oh, yeah, I got a reach cast right here. You know, just because I'm a guy doesn't mean I'm perfect. I still have to practice. You still have to stay on point with what you're trying to do. Yeah, and I've got uh, I've got rods rigged up that are just laying around in the boat or hanging on the wall in the garage, and I just take them out there and cast them every once in a while. Just grab whatever's there; it doesn't matter. You know, there's, believe me, there's plenty uh, around this around that I can grab, and I just grab one and go out and try to hit a spot in the yard. Especially in the spring, I seem to do it more. If I like, I took December off, and I'm you know, and part of part of January too, and. So I didn't fish, didn't do anything. So I probably was a little bit rusty, but you know, now I'm kind of getting back in the groove and casting a little more. And, and, uh, you know, when I get my, cho- my chance, then I'll be a little more ready. And that's, I, I swear, I think that's as much of the game as anything. When you get on the water is just being ready. Absolutely. I agree. So let's take a break here. And when we come back, we'll talk streamers and nymphs. Jordan Red at Red's Flies is a listener and a friend of the Southeastern Fly Podcast. Jordan's patterns are tested extensively here in the Southeast and work all around the country. Testing each pattern ensures you have the best opportunity to increase your catch rate while you're on the water. Red's Flies carries hundreds of patterns, including standard nymphs and Euro nymphs, tailwater and freestone dry flies, and a very nice assortment of streamer patterns. Red's Flies is a small family-owned business, and they give back to the community by donating 10% of their profits to the Chattahoochee River Keepers, Trout Unlimited, Bonefish Tarpon Trust, and other conservation organizations who support our southern waters. Go to www.redsflies.com and spell reds with two Ds. Remember, they offer free shipping on orders of $50 or more. And if you enter the code S-E-F-L-Y at checkout, you'll receive an additional 15% off your order. That's redsflies.com and tell them you heard it on the Southeastern Five podcast. Welcome back. Now that we have some ammo to go fish dry flies, let's move on to something a little more a little more meteor. I enjoy fishing streamers, uh, and I've been doing that here for a couple months now. But and I really enjoy being able to watch the fish eat, you know, when it's possible. Change the retrieves, going through colors, looking at profiles that might work, or just some things that I work on. Shane, can you talk about water levels, colors of streamers, profiles of patterns, and generally what should an angler be prepared for when they're fishing streamers on the South Holston? So streamer fishing for me is a really basic, basic thing. I do not take streamers to the extreme with crazy patterns and crazy colors. And this is just me, and I found it's been very successful. I look at a couple of things. Two important things I look at is what do the skies look like? Are they cloudy or are they sunny? The next thing I look at, watercolor. What kind of water do we have? Okay. I basically, if you look in my streamer box, I've got basically three colors. And you can probably guess what those are. White, olive, and black, right? A little bit of purple. For some reason, even on the South Holston Lake, just like the South Holston River, these fish like purple. And I have a little bit of yellow uh, in my box. But generally speaking, white, olive, and black. When do I use these colors? Usually I use white and the clearest of water. Olive is my middle of the road pattern. 
Okay. If I, if I'm getting some fish to follow on a white stream and they just will not commit, I'll go to that olive. And normally that's, that'll take it. Hey, if, if the South Holston river is almost chocolate milk, just skip it. Go throw that black streamer. If you're a streamer, man, those, those fish will find that black streamer. I don't get caught up in the profile size. I know one of my favorite streamers for clients to throw that has been really successful for me is the, uh, is a fly by Kelly Gallup and it's called the sex dungeon. Uh, the peanut envy is a really good one, but as far as, um, streamer fishing, you know, there's not one certain retrieve that you should use every day. I think is different. So if you go out streamer fishing and you make your big double haul cast as far as you can get it and you continuously, bring that fly back to the boat the same exact way every time and you're not getting any results that should tell you you need to change it up whether it's strip pause strip strip pause whether you need to speed that fly up if you're getting follows and not a take need to make some type of adjustment so you have to you you have to keep working that fly different ways until you figure out how those fish are going to want it and that streamer fishing, yeah, you know, it, it works you pretty hard. It's <laughs> the understatement of the, of the decade right there. It can work you hard, especially if you got a, any kind of sinking line or anything that seems to sometimes tire folks out as well. But if you let the line do all the work, it's a little bit easier. And we're talking about high water here too, throwing these streamers. And, you know, I'll use like a 250 grain or so. Um, but I get clients that want to throw the streamer. Um, and I got a couple of scars in the back of my head that proves that, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out too well. <laughs> yep. Yep. I don't want to get sidetracked, but I, I want to tell you, I had a, a client one time had it throwing, the, throwing the streamer out and he hit me in the back of the head and my, it took my hat off and the hook raked through the back of my head. And, and his girlfriend was like, Oh my gosh. And the hat gets down the river. And the line goes tight and he thinks it's a fish. So I'm sitting, sitting here bleeding to death and, and, and his girlfriend is uh, doing my hat and, and, and he's pulling the uh, line back in thinking it was a fish and it was my, <laughs> well, I didn't lose my hat, but anyway, yeah, that, the streamer fishing, you, you definitely need to be able to cast. And I feel like you need to be able to cast at a good distance. Obviously yeah. we need to get that fly out there a good distance. We need to allow that fly to get down. And we need to be able to fish that fly for as long as we can. We're not just drifting down through there. We got to keep that fly uh, absolutely working. Another streamer that works wonders on any size fish in the South Holston River is a Crelex. You heard of the Crelex? I have. Yeah that that is a uh, that's a that's probably the the fish catchingest fly out there. If you just want to go out and throw a simple fly. That's the fly to throw if you just want to catch fish on a streamer. Me personally, I don't recommend streamer fishing the South Holston on low water at all. I just, it's just not my cup of tea. I don't think it's very successful for people who are wanting to go out and hog hunt. Can you catch fish on the South Holston on low water on a streamer? Absolutely, by using some smaller. Uh, woolly boogers um and, and i do that on the south holes and also on the on the watauga river as well if you're in the area and you and you're wanting to check out both rivers 
we're fortunate enough to have two good rivers here, but for sure. And I seem to have on low water, my most success on the olive, uh, woolly bugger. And I'm talking, you know, the really, really small ones. So, but as far as, um, streamer fishing goes, I would really want to do it on the high water, you know, and one end of the river to the other for sure. and, and I've been on it on high water with with uh, with a guide. I've rode it on high water in my boat, and I know there's probably a couple places that are a little tricky, but one in particular I can't remember the name. I know you probably go over it every day, but we we launched from the dam, pushed out, and I don't. It felt like we were almost halfway down to the first ramp on the left there, a uh, pretty big shoal with a pretty big rock. There's like a house or something on right on the right downstream side, just almost at the end of that shoal, uh, where it kind of just drops off. And I cannot, for the life of me, think of the name of that shoal. Cedar Rapid. Had had you done went through Hickory Tree Rapids? Yeah, I can't remember. Uh, it's been several years since I wrote it, but are those so a couple of bigger? I don't. They weren't huge. I mean, I wasn't like dropping off a stair step or anything like that. But it was something that was a little more. Like, you know, you had to look at it before you went through it. Can you talk about the two two rapids that you just mentioned? So the first rapid, the Hickory Tree Rapids, will be, if you put in up at the top, which we call the Weir Dams or the Greats or anyway, at the top of the river around Osceola Island. From there to 44 Bridge, you don't really have anything that you need to worry about. Once you go under 44 Bridge, you'll come to Hickory Tree Rapids. If you've never rode the South Austin, I would recommend if you're going to come and try to do it by yourself, wait till a busy day and kind of post up and wait and follow somebody through. If you're good at controlling your boat, there, there's a couple different routes that you can take through there, but there's one main route that you'll see 95% of the boats do. You know, once you go through, you kind of enter left center. And then you move over to the right and go down. And then you've got that bottom ledge down there, that set of rocks. If you get down in there too deep, you can't pull back out at that point where you have to go all the way back to the left side. So you have to uh, make sure um, that you don't get down in there too deep. And then the thing is, is once you get to the left side, the river's not turning back to a really sharp, almost 90 degree bend to the right. So you just want to make sure going through the hickory tree rapids that you that you have really good boat control that's that's very important is understanding you know your oars and how to row yeah okay I mean, there's a go type in on youtube that canoe video on the south holston and it'll show you what not to do i i don't personally recommend trying to go through any of the south holston on in a canoe period yeah i wouldn't do that either uh there's not not when they're running a bunch of water. I sure wouldn't want to drag it on low water either, but no. Uh, <laughs> so if, and I don't know if, if y'all handle shuttles at the shop or what do y'all do for shuttles up there? Well, we have um, a couple of shuttle guys. I use Ronnie sales. Um, Ronnie's been doing it for a long time and he's very respectful of your vehicle. And I've never had, Nobody smoking in it or nothing like that because I'm pretty pretty particular about my vehicle, you know, making sure it's taken care of. Um, but 
I'm not sure. Okay, I was going to try to get his phone number. Oh, don't worry about it. I have them. Uh, they can they call a shop and get it, or they just look it up online. Well, if you if you contact me, or it's I don't think it's online, but if if anybody needs, it, they can contact me on you know what at Facebook or whatever, or call Pat or call Patrick at South Holston River Company too. But we can definitely get you hooked up with the number if you need a shuttle. Okay. Uh, and you talk, you talked about Hickory Tree Rapid. I'm going to back up just a second. What was the other name of the other rapid you were talking about? Uh, Cedar Rapid. Cedar Rapid. Let's talk about it in just a second. Cedar Rapid is, I would worry more about Cedar Rapid than Hickory Tree Rapid. When, but when I say that, you need to be respectful of both. Cedar Rapid, though, is on high water. It's not that bad. You just need to know where to go. And it's just a drop over. And it's not much of a drop over, but if you don't know where to hit it, you can definitely get yourself in trouble. So it's, you know, that's one too that if you're looking to row the South Holson, you definitely need to follow somebody down through there or you need to you need to get somebody to take you and, and show you if you've got the experience in rowing. Yeah, I think that's what we had done. We we took a took a guide trip one day and I said, Hey, I'm I'm fishing tomorrow. You know, let them know. I'm fishing tomorrow. I've got my boat here with me. So just so you know that we'll be back tomorrow. So whatever you showed me today, I'm probably going to try to fish tomorrow because I didn't know anything else. And he's pretty cool about it. He's like, yeah, sure. But I said, most of all, I need to know where I need to look out for and what I need to look out for. And the dude was pretty cool about it. So yeah, it was, it does not hurt to say, Hey, I don't know everything about everything. So I might need to take a little, a little ride with somebody else. You know, it's better to do that. I think we'd, uh, we had a boat last year. Somebody turned one over, and the people were finding, you know, rods and and boxes and everything, you know. And this was at Hickory Tree Rapids. Yeah, the boat was turned upside down, and the TVA wasn't shutting off the water, and it was just sitting there underwater upside down. I don't think anybody was hurt, but they had to wait till they cut the water off where they could get their boat out. And you just hate to see that stuff happen. And it happened to me or anybody. You know, water. People underestimate the power of water. Water is very powerful. Some of those hydraulics that you see in some areas of this river on high water are just phenomenal. People are like, was that a fish? I'm like, no, that is freaking hydraulics. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, if you see this river, like through the gorge area on low water, at how large, and I'm not saying rocks, I'm saying boulders, you know, it's incredible, incredible. So you just need to know your water. Very important. It's not a pride thing to get somebody to take you down the river you know it's i i respect my money i respect my equipment that i own and i don't want to go out there and jeopardize my safety or my friend's safety or my belongings yep totally agree 100 percent. let's talk about the myth that's out there on the south holston let's let's move on and talk about that so there's a myth out there about the south holston that uh and that myth kind of alludes to that water up there being just dries or just streamers and we don't fish anything else and uh, that's not true <laughs> i've been on it i've caught some nice fish on soft hackles along the water low water shoals like you were talking about fishing that little uh woolly bugger and i just traded it in for a soft tackle one day and really had a great day going on in the upper river just wading around uh, and found some bear scat up there, I think, on the trail that was still kind of steaming. So I don't know if there's bears up there or not, but it sure looked like it. But anyway, it's a whole nother, probably a whole nother podcast. But so that that river has produced 
fish on nips on higher and lower water. You don't have to be an expert to catch on catch fish on the South Holston, but uh, there are some things that you need to prepare yourself for for this river. I guess probably all rivers actually. But what are some tip, tips and thoughts uh, thought processes that would help help us uh, fish nymphs and be successful? Well, you're right about the bears. We have a really nice that we have a really nice population of some really pretty black bear. But you don't have to worry. I've never I've never heard of anybody being uh, you know attacked and enjoyed for a meal. So you're safe. As far as nymphing goes, that's one of my favorite things to do. In fact, probably 80% of the fish that we catch is nymphing uh, or dry fly fishing. So, hey, oh, oh, Hang on a second. I got I to back up here. Do you say that's one of your favorite things to do? It nymphing? is. Okay. I, lo- I love nymph fishing. I do too. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, people think about the fly fishing or a river runs through it, and the first thing that comes to mind when people think fly fishing is 45 false cast with a dry fly, and there we go. But people really overlook nymph fishing. It is a very, very effective way to catch fish on the South Austin. In fact, I think if you're going to have a really good day, nymph is the way to do it unless you walk up to the river and you see the best dry fly hatch coming off you've seen and you got fish rising everywhere. You know, but typically that's probably not going to happen unless you know the river very well and you know that those bugs are coming off at two o'clock in a certain location. And that just takes knowing the river and experience. But as far as nymph fishing goes, presentation, I think is a big thing um, in your setups. One thing that you really need to do, and it kind of goes back to dry fly fishing as well, is making sure you have long leader. A small tippet. Um, if you're if you're wade fishing low water, you're going to nymph fish. You can't go out there with a thingamabobber on your line and and then have that thing smack in the water. Indicators, small, small, smallest indicators you can get by with. And the New Zealands work really well. The Dorsey indicator system, that polypropylene yarn works wonders. And I mean, really trimming it down as small as you can get. It's almost micro fishing. It's very important, very important to throw really soft indicators on. Uh, my recommendation would be starting out is at least a nine foot, and I would go with a six X leader. If you want to fish a fluorocarbon, that's fine. Typically, I don't. I fish the nylon, um, and then I come off of that with my tippet. Now, tippet's a whole nother thing. Yeah. Now Trout Hunter has some half sizes out. I think that, you know, you should at least start out on low water with uh, 6X, especially if you're fishing some some uh, thinner water. Um, and if you're not getting anything, six and a half, then go down to seven. Your bug sizes and profiles, I think, is one thing that people who tie their own flies and I am very particular. When I tie a fly and I take it off of a vice, if I don't like it, it don't make it to my box. I think the profile of your, let's talk midges. So midge is the number one food source for these fish 365 days a year. They come off every day. You pump any fish out there and you're they're going to be full of midges most of the time. And But one thing about our bugs is they're slim. 
I see a lot of times when people tie their midges, they're really bulky and fat. They're almost as big as the bead kind of built out from, from front to back. And I think having a slim body, less is more on your midges is very important. Very important. I tend to usually fish one. If I'm fishing two flies, I'll fish uh, my bottom midge with the bead and then I'll come up and put on a, a another piece of tippet like with a you can use a, a surgeon's knot with a beadless a fly with you know no bead on it um i find that works really well you know and even you even when you know that there might be stalker nymphs moving in the water the dry dropper works really well too but nymphing definitely definitely can't be over when you're fishing the south hole on low water if you're a wade fisherman High water is the same deal. We just we have to we have to add a lot of weight. Normally, a whole lot of weight. Um, I fish a couple of different ways. I fish, you know, kind of a more traditional inline rig on high water. Normally, what I do is I'll come down with a a nine foot five x leader on high water. I used to fish a lot of four four and a half x, but the last couple of years I have had a hard time on high water getting these fish to eat. When, I, when I'm fishing four and four and a half X. So I've went to five X on my leader, and then I'll use a micro swivel at the end of that foot leader. And that's what I will attack my leader to. And then on the other end of that micro swivel is going to be my material that I set up my rig with. And so if I'm fishing more of a traditional style, I'll put my, I'll put my line onto the swivel, my leader onto the swivel. And right above that swivel is where I'm going to put my B or whatever, my weight that I'm going to fish. And then I'm going to come, I'm going to pull me off some tip. And, and I do it a couple different ways. And, and you can't be afraid. Sometimes I'll put the tag on and I'll fish an anchor fly. And sometimes I'll just do hook bend to hook. And I've had success with both, with both of those. And, it, and I think it just depends on the fish for that particular day. Um, that's the way I tend to like to catch them the, the best. Another, uh, rig that you're going to hear about on high water that people talk about a lot, and I'm sure you've probably heard of it. People call it the bounce rig, kind of like a drop shot rig. Have you heard that bounce rig on the South Boston? Similar to a chuck and duck. Exactly. Yeah. There's no false casting to it. Basically, I, I just tell my clients rainbow and <laughs> Your weight is on the very bottom of that thing. And typically, I'll fish four to five bees on that. Uh, both of my flies or three of my flies um, are all on tags. And I use that same. So I'll use a nine-foot 5X leader to the micro swivel. And then I'll come down with, you know, however much tippet you need. from from. I'll, I'll have my weight on the bottom. And then I'll have my first fly, you know, a foot, 18 inches above the weight. And then another 18 inches to my next fly, you know, you can play with. I don't think that that's as important as, as keeping our flies down. Yeah. So that fish are moving around. But that rig right there really produces a lot of fish. I'm not going to say it doesn't produce large fish because we've caught some, uh, some really nice fish on the bounce rig. But that rig, to me, is probably the best producing uh, rig on the South Holston. If you're, if you're just wanting to catch a bunch of fish, 
but the the more traditional inline rig on high water with the weight above your flies instead of below i've definitely caught my better fish on that rig on high water that kind of that swerves into the lane of indicator fishing with just the normal traditional rig versus your old nymphing with getting it you know flies down in their face and being on the bottom and bouncing the bottom with the Euro rig and you catch more with a Euro rig than you, a lot of folks do with a traditional rig, but the fish aren't always the the same, not always the size, don't, don't always have the size to them with, exactly. the, with that bouncing rig. And when I get, when I get people that fish that bounce rig for the first time, you know, and it's, I get them and I put the boat in and I'm like, here's what we're looking for. And I tell them if, if it ain't, if you're not ticking, you're not fishing. You want that indicator to be ticking. You want to see it bouncing. And then, then that indicator is the weights are relaying a message to your indicator. And, and then I got to get them to set the hook because at (laughs) first they're wanting to set the hook every time that thing bounces. Like I thought it was a fish. Yeah. I get them to, and I'll be like, say it. And once they get a couple fish in a boat and they see what to look for with that indicator, see, it's on after that. Yeah. You know, in the middle of the summer on high water, you go out there with that bounce rig and you can just put almost as many fish as you want in the boat a day on high water. I've done that same thing teaching somebody Euro nymph. Be like, you know, it's bouncing. I'll be set. That's fish set. That's fish set. That's fish set. That's fish. And and they're like, oh no, no, but it's just bouncing on the bottom. I'm like, nope, it's not. It's just that was a fish. And when they catch a couple, they were said, I'll be turning. Them. Well, we missed four or five. No, actually, yeah. actually, I, I didn't miss them. <laughs> I was <laughs> wanting you to set. I'm kidding. <laughs> they're like, well, no, that's a fish. I'm like, probably because I I look at it 200 days a year. Exactly. Yeah. You know, just kind looking of, at this, you know, I, I was out here for the last 27 days before your trip, looking at the same thing. <laughs> just all new to people like i get people that's fly fish for 20 or 30 years and they've never fished that bounce rig and some people like it even some guides like the rig and some guides don't like it which you know i i kind of see old school versus new school tactics and stuff you know but it really is an effective rig and it's really works well for beginner anglers you know people that haven't really did it's just you know why are they with me to catch fish you know and i want them to catch fish so uh the bounce rig seems to be really productive if you got a boat and you're coming to the south holston and you're going to nymph fish make sure you bring your frenchies which is a pheasant tail variant with different colors you know you can do purple or pink or you know whatever you choose to do Uh, make sure you have those in the summertime and some midges um and i've even been known to put three flies on and put a soft tackle up top on the very top and it works and it works but color wise i don't think matters a lot with your bugs i mean some people do kind of like when you're talking about your streamers i had three main colors i think with when you're when you're fishing 2300 cubic feet a second that bug's moving down that river then fish only have a second to eat it and i think they're going to look more at that profile size of that fly than they are whether it's black or brown yeah it feels almost like that that color might catch their eye and then they they're like oh i gotta make a decision to eat or not eat and then they go for profile if there's color on it but i think probably profile and to me makes more sense than anything 
uh, as far as what they're really looking at and why they're eating. And if it's 2300 CFS, they've got, they can't just hang out and, you know, determine which bin of the, of the fly shop fly rack this one came off of. They got to make a decision right away and just eat, you know, and spit it out later if they can. So that, that's exactly right. You know, I think people get, and that it goes back to me time flies. If I tie a fly and I don't like it, it don't go in the box. But you know what? That fish was going to probably eat that fly. Well, yeah. How many have we had that have been the perfect fly when we took them off the vice and 20 fish later? You're like, yeah, throw it right back in there. I'm not going to, don't take it. I know we're not taking that fly off because it's working and we're, you know, until it just stops, you know, well, until it becomes thread. And sometimes the thread even works. So that brings me to a bug I forgot to mention just now that works really well for me. And that's the sow bug. And when I tie that bug, um, and I tie it in a ginger color uh-huh. with like a bad hothead on it with, uh, with some red thread or some fluorescent orange, but that sow bug works really well. And let me tell you that sow bug works even better when it's almost bare hook, when there's hardly nothing left on it, you know, and we're sitting here picking it apart on the vice. Are we going to fish with that? Or are we not going to fish with that? Is it going to be worthy enough to go in our box? And we know that that fish is going to eat it because we see what happens to our bugs and they eat them every time. Yeah. And maybe that goes back to what you were saying about the profile. You know, on the midges, slim profile. I've been slimming some of my 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 uh, nymphs down a little bit, just like you're talking about midges. Even some nymphs, you know, regular nymphs, I've been slimming them down more and more and more and still getting eats on them. But I've got a couple that are just plain old fat, you know, and that just seems to work. But, you know, as I start experimenting, this time of year, I like to experiment, you know, through the winter and all that. I've experimented and a lot of times I end up on exactly the same fly that I was on last year, but, you know, I've been starting to slim them down a little more, a little bit less material. You know, sink rate's been really big for me lately, uh, even more so than than it has been over the past 10 to 15 years. It's always been to me, get it down, get it in front of their face and, you know, make them make that decision like I was just talking about. But maybe what you were talking about there, maybe it does go back to that, that sow bug goes back to, Maybe it's just they're looking for something slim, you know, slim profile. I, it's made a difference, and and I'm and I'm just talking about the South Holson, but it's definitely made a difference in the amount of fish that I catch. Yeah, and I choose that. If somebody said, "What do you? Well, if you had to pick, what would it be? Color or profile of that fly? It would be profile for me over color. I think that, especially on your midges, I think that it's. Uh, very important and even when i'm tying a pheasant tail you know some people will just might get 10 fibers you know but for me it's i'm getting like four or five fibers and i'm really tying that thing real slow when i'm wrapping it because i'm i try to be a perfectionist but i I don't want it gobbed on there right but but i want that fly to wrap as slim as body as i can get it you know it does it tear up easier probably so but do i feel like it catches more fish for my confidence level as a guy i really feel like it does so that's what works for me yeah confidence is usually the name of the game like i've got confidence in this and my confidence can wane don't get me wrong but man if i'm confident in something i I think i tend to help people fish a little bit better if i'm changing flies for a client and and i'm looking at my box and i'm like I'm, I'm going to put this fly on and I've did this. I'm like, I need to give this a chance, but it goes back to what you said. Confidence. I'll put that fly on there in five minutes. I'm taking it back off because I hadn't caught a fish because I don't have confidence in it. And I spend a lot of time out there 
and I, and I, and I test a lot of bugs and new ties and, and, and if I don't have confidence in it, I just can't fish it. And I think that's part of catching fish too. Don't you? Is I having sure do. Absolutely. Fishing. I do. That's a if big you're part. Throwing something that's, you're, you're not, you don't have zero confidence in, or you're not sure about, you might as well not even fish it. That's of, uh, I mean, it, it makes me in this is, so I'm going to put David in the, in the brace to the front brace. If I'm confident in the fly, I swear, I think I fish better and, mm-hmm. you know, more intentional, more making better moves, uh, making better mends, getting better drifts, picking better places. But if I'm less confident in, in a fly, it almost sometimes feel like I make, you know, three or four good. I do everything uh, to the best of my ability. And then if nothing hits, I might, maybe I start slacking off. I don't know, but it all goes back to, yeah, I'm just not confident in that. So I, if I'm going to test something, I try to test it myself, uh, unless it's just an exceptionally good day. And I say, Hey, I've got a new fly here. I want to try. You want to try it? And a lot of people say, yeah, let's shoot. Yeah. Let's give it a try. You know, but you could easily put that fly on there and they wouldn't know the difference. Oh yeah. Yeah. You could. I'm, I'm the same way. I'm like, I got this fly. Let's try it. You know, a lot of people, they don't care. They trust in you. They're with you for a reason, obviously. So, but yeah. Profile of that fly, very important in my opinion, on the South Holston River. Well, you've given us a lot of good information here. Uh, so we've covered uh, dries on high and low water, streamer on high and low water, nymphing on high and low water. We've gone through some of the rapids. We've got some info out there on shuttles. Uh, we've got some leader setups. We've been through a ton of stuff here in the past, however long it's been, hour or so. But I don't ever feel like we we've asked enough questions to get everything out but so we're going to close with this question we close with this question for everybody so just so we don't miss something that you think is important what do you what's the one thing that we haven't asked about fishing the south holston tailwater that we should have asked that we didn't one thing you need to ask yourself is how much are you a patient person the South Holston is a very, very popular river. I have clients that come from England. A lot of the access to the areas, some days you will run into a lot of people that are fishing. So I think if you want to venture to the South Holston on your own and explore, I think it's really looking at maps. Pull out the map, find a map of the South Holston, look at your access points, look at the water, figure out where you need to go where nobody else is willing to go if you're wanting to get uh the uh the fish of a lifetime for sure but there's a lot of great things about the south holston that i could sit here and tell you for another two hours one great thing about the south holston rivers we're located right here in bristol tennessee so if you come up for a trip there's definitely a lot of things to do a lot of great places to eat and a lot of great places to fish and a lot of great places to stay for lodging. Um, like Tailwater's Lodge on the South Austin River is a new lodge. They got six or 800 feet of water frontage that uh, you can wade fish there all you want. But the South Austin is just, man, we're blessed to have a river like the South Austin east of the Mississippi that people leave this country to go find fish that are in the South Austin that we have right here. And it, it amazes me at the amount of people that fly fish that don't realize what the South Holston is as popular as it even is now. Yeah. People do the Patagonia run down there and part of that's just adventure. So 
but there are a ton of nice fish in that river. And it doesn't have to be the 30 inch, although that's, you know, that's great. That's a, that's a, that's a goal and all that, but I don't think you can discount the 18 to 25s that are in there either that are just beautiful fish, healthy, incredible, great color. They look like a brown trout should look. They look like a rainbow should look. They're nice and fat. And you can tell if they've had a living a good life. So you mentioned food. So barbecue. I love my barbecue. I love Ridgewood. I tell you what I really like about that place is if you go in and you're you're waiting, you get the crackers with that dip that they give you. They're like saltines is all they are. That blue cheese dip. Yeah, whatever that is. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Man, that stuff's good. It's but, phenomenal. Yeah. Is there a better barbecue place up there? Well, not in my opinion. And I and I say that with all due respect to the other barbecue places. Oh, yeah. Because we have some phenomenal, phenomenal barbecue places. We have one downtown Bristol called Southern Craft. And if you're up here with a group of guys and you've got six or eight guys, they got this one item menu over there called the Butcher's Block. Load the dudes up, go over there to Southern Craft. And get that butcher's block, and you will not be disappointed. Really? Uh, oh my gosh! I think it's a. I think it's like a hundred and ten bucks for the butcher's block, but it is unbelievable what all you get on it. Oh, it's so good. If you're looking for that good sandwich, though, like we were just talking about, Ridgewood is, is really hard to really really hard to beat. Delta Blues is another one that's downtown, and it's a Memphis style. Oh yeah, and they have probably the best ribs that i've ever put in my mouth mm, see i love i love i love a rib sandwich have you ever had a rib sandwich i have yes and and if so for those out there if you haven't had a rib sandwich i'll tell you how i stumbled upon them one day i was down in birmingham and miss i believe it was miss myra's was the name of it I, it was one of those deals where there's a group of us going i was in the middle of the group and everybody knew what they were going to order. And I didn't have any idea what was good, what was not good. It all turned out to be great. But when it was my turn to order, the, the lady looked at me and I said, well, I guess I'll just have a rib sandwich. Now, what a rib sandwich is, is two pieces of white bread and three ribs thrown on the top piece of white bread with the bone in it. And boy, it, so you got, you've got to clean it off and make you basically build your own sandwich sitting at the table right before you eat. It is fantastic. So I don't know if they have that up there, but I, I went through this time in Birmingham where I was traveling down there quite a bit, and I ranked, I don't remember if I ate at six or eight, ten places down there. I ate at Dreamland. I ate at all the, uh, at Saul's. Saul's Barbecue took took the number one spot in Birmingham and the number three spot. So I, we went to multiple times to each one, and uh, and I ranked them, but I love a good rib. That's a long way around the barn to say I love a good rib sandwich. Although it's not like you're just going to pick it up and eat it. You got to do a little work before you get to eat it, and I think that just makes it a little bit better because it's got that little your own personal touch on their barbecue. So, yeah, I, I told you I'd had one, and maybe I was thinking about the McRib sandwich. We're <laughs> taking the meat off of a rib and put, but I've never had what you just described. So I don't guess I have had a uh, a true rib sandwich. Well, and I don't know if they do that uh, here or not even, but that's the way they do it in Birmingham. And, and, uh, you know, every, every place I went to, except for one was a chain and it, it was, it, it was the lowest on our, our, on my scale of my rating scale. 
their rib sandwich was like rib meat on a sandwich bun, uh, like a hamburger bun. And it just, that's what I was thinking. I've had that. Yeah. It's, it's just not as good. I mean, and I, I think, like I said, it's that personal touch. That's all it can be is, you know, I've got it just the way I want it. All that meat just laid out there and all nice and covers everything. And then a little bit of barbecue sauce and then you sop up the rest of the barbecue sauce so i'm getting hungry so we probably I'm better fool, i'm a fool for food I'm a fool <laughs> for, I, you know i'm 280 pounds so, <laughs> uh, but too we got another place down in johnson city which is only about 30 minutes from here it's a it's a louisiana style cajun place um mm. what is uh, but in the uh, but, but during crawfish season oh. have the crawfish and and I tell people, if I was on death row, that would be my last meal request. <laughs> crawfish. Is the crawfish with that sausage and those oh, yeah. with a big old huge bowl of melted butter. It don't yeah. get that at all. I can't make that place I'm trying to think of. It's in Johnson City. Bayou Boys. If you're ever up there, Bayou Boys. Or when you're up here again, Bayou Boys in Johnson City. If crawfish are in season, you got to try it. Mm, boy, that all sounds good. That's really making me hungry. I don't have nothing but peanut butter here right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we better show close the show out. Uh, and I'm going to go find something to eat uh, after talking through all that. Feel free to share the podcast with your friends and your fishing partners. Smash that subscribe or that follow button so you'll be the first to know when an episode drops. Uh, give us a positive review wherever you consume your podcast. And if you find value in the and want to support the podcast and the work we do here, we'd appreciate it if you'd stop by the Southeastern Fly store and just make a purchase. So who was our guest today on Southeastern Fly? He's a down-to-earth personality, which I think you've seen here, and he has a passion for helping and teaching, and that makes for a good day on the water. You can book him at the South Holston River Company. He's the man, he's known as the man that everybody wants to fish with, and I can see why. Shane, really appreciate you stopping by. I really appreciate you having me, giving me the opportunity. I've had a ball for the last hour or so, and you know, I don't know if I was the best at this, but I really enjoyed it. And if I've helped one person, then I've helped somebody, and that's my goal. I think you did a fine job, and I, like I told you after we talked the first time, I know you would. So, yeah, it's this is going to be a good one. I think it's going to give people... Uh, some information to get them started on and and there's some good ideas of of all the setup all that stuff so you just listen to shane griffith at fly fishing the south holston tailwater on southeastern fly see you next time